The Road Less Travelled podcast is a proudly Australian, fiercely independent podcast, hosted and produced by me, Nikki Shea, for Fat Cat Media. We receive no corporate payments, which means we rely on self-sufficient financial support. If you can and are able to, we would love you to support us via Patreon. Listen to the Road Less Travelled podcast on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and iHeartRadio. G'day everyone, welcome to the Road Less Travelled podcast. My name is Nikki Shea and for the next little while we'll be taking a step back in history and have a look as well as plenty of things that have been happening on the Road Less Travelled podcast. I know a lot of you are still in and out of lockdowns wherever you are our thoughts are with you it will get better um we've just come out of lockdown six in victoria so i'm sure there's plenty more to come and hopefully somewhere along the line we'll be able to get this COVID 19 under control now you can follow the road less travel podcast on instagram where you can look for the road less travel podcast 2021 that's 2021 that's our instagram handle and you can check us out on facebook as well just search for the road less traveled podcast and of course you can keep up to date with what we're doing with fat cat media by searching for fat cat media on facebook and instagram and the website should be up in the not too distant future just getting the final touches to upgrading that that'll be www.fatcatmedia.com.au and as always you can drop me a line fatcat at iinet.net.au or 0427528467. Love to get your feedback, love to get your comments and how you think that the show's going on the road less travelled. Now before we get into this week's actual episode, I'd like to have a little bit of a chat to you about cooking. And I don't know about you, but when it comes to taking meat away on trips, are you the same as me? Who takes enough sausages to feed the entire caravan park or camping ground that you're staying at. Yep, I am guilty of that. Of that. So I decided to put together a mild curried sausage recipe and it's great for a simple camp meal. It can be a one-pot dish or served with simple camp sides like instant potatoes or tinned vegetables if you, get, if you have those at hand or, of course, the much-preferred fresh alternative of fresh veggies. The curried sausage dish itself includes carrots and onions that are simmered in an easy and flavourful curry sauce. And although a simple dish, there is a whole generation of Aussie kids that were brought up eating this as an easy budget midweek meal. In a camp setting, it also offers a comfort food feel because of this history. The ingredients is about 500 grams of sausages, half a kilo, uh, one carrot grated, a sliced onion, cup of cold water, a tablespoon of corn flour or cornstarch if you carry that on the trip, a teaspoon of curry powder or I actually prefer curry paste, uh, a teaspoon of cumin, a tablespoon of tomato sauce, a tablespoon of Worcestershire sauce as well. Now in a large skillet or fry pan, you can fry the sausages until they're just cooked through, cut them into smaller pieces if desired. Then you add the onions and the carrots to the sausage, then continue to cook until the onion is softened and translucent. Now in a bowl, combine the water, corn flour, curry powder, cumin, tomato sauce and Worcestershire sauce. This is where you can actually add the curry paste too. You add the sauce mixture to the frying pan and stir constantly until it's thickened and gently, sim- gently simmering. When the sauce is thickened, serve alone or with camp mashed potatoes, rice or vegetables it is just a simple, easy one. You can even do this recipe at home. And speaking of recipes, if you've got a recipe to share, let us know on The Road Less Travelled. You can jump onto our Facebook page, send us a direct message, The Road Less Travelled Podcast, or you can drop me an email, fatcat, which is P-H-A-T-C-A-T, at 
Radio.au and love to hear from you. Love to hear the recipes that you take out on the road. Now this week on the Road Less Travelled podcast, we go back in history to the story of Ned Kelly. Now, for many, he epitomises many qualities that ordinary Australians admire. Apparently, he was a larrikin, loyal to his family and ready to sacrifice himself for his mates. He's believed to be an underdog. He represented the struggling classes and thumbed his nose at the establishment. He was inventive, he was fearless, he was charismatic. He was barely educated, yet his famous letters were poetic and passionate. He He did, though, kill police officers, was outlawed and could be shot on sight by anyone. Yet when he was sentenced to hang, more than 30,000 people signed a petition asking for a reprieve. And we also mustn't forget that there were many sides to the legend of Ned Kelly. Yes, he was a criminal and a police killer and had numerous brushes brushes with the law from a young age. But some say he was merely following his father's and uncle's lead and a product, perhaps, of his environment. In the context of the times, he was a hero to Irish immigrants who felt they were being persecuted by the establishment. It's claimed that most of the takings from his famous bank robberies went to help his supporters. So many say that Ed Kelly was an Australian Robin Hood. I don't know. He was intensely protective of his family and avenged a police officer's alleged assault on his sister, which is really what set off the whole of his troubles. Until the Fitzpatrick incident, Ned Kelly had been a petty criminal involved in horse stealing and assisting in a few hold-ups on the highways. However, after the Fitzpatrick incident... Ned and his brother Dan were wanted for attempted murder and went bush. Now, some claim Ned wasn't even there at the time of the Fitzpatrick incident, while others say that Ned and his mother dressed Fitzpatrick's wound before he left. While in hiding, Joe Byrne and Steve Hart joined Ned and Dan Kelly, and the foursome became known as the Kelly Gang. They committed two large-scale bank robberies to support themselves and thus dug the hole even deeper. A manhunt was mounted and Ned and his gang confronted a group of four policemen at Stringybark Creek with no intention of murder, so it says. In the fracas, three policemen were shot dead and thus the price of Ned Kelly's head went even higher. As part of the plans for Glen Rowan, Aaron Sharrett was shot dead by his best friend Joe Byrne for being an informer having begged him to join the gang the year before. Now at Glen Rowan, the plan was to take a large number of people hostage and negotiate the release of Ned's mother, Alan, and two other men who were jailed in connection with the Fitzpatrick incident. 46 police arrived, surrounded the Glen Rowan Inn where the gang and the hostages were holed up and fired on the hotel for up to seven hours. During the siege, Dan Kelly, Joe Byrne and Steve Hart died. Ned there, wearing his trademark homemade armour, came forward to the police, shooting but was shot in the legs and captured. Ned Kelly was hung at, oh, sorry, he was held at Melbourne Jail to recover from his injuries. He was then tried at Beechworth Courthouse and in Melbourne by Judge Redmond Barry and sentenced to death by hanging, which occurred on the 11th of November 1880. Apparently, Ned Kelly said to Justice Sir Redmond Barry on his sentencing in October 1880, the day will come when we will all have to go to a bigger court than this. So whatever your thoughts might be on Ned Kelly, the official Ned Kelly touring route spans over 200 years and half the globe. The Kelly family routes came from Tipperary in Ireland, but the famous exploits of Ned Kelly and his gang happened from Glen Rowan to Drilgery, Euroa, Beechworth, Benella and Mansfield and his grisly end in the old Melbourne jail. Now other places to explore in the history of Ned Kelly family include his younger years at Avenel, Beveridge and Greta, you can dip your toe in the Ned Kelly story in a day or keep exploring over many visits. And that's what we did on the Ned Kelly touring route. We started off in Melbourne at the old Melbourne jail and then headed up on the Hume Highway to Beveridge. 
And we'll come back to talks of the old Melbourne jail a little bit later on. As I said, beverage on the Ned Kelly touring route. Shadowed by the Hume Highway, it was Ned's first hometown. Ned's father, Red, built their first home here in 1859 using materials he could obtain from the bush, including local bluestone for the chimney. Red struggled to make ends meet during doing carpentry jobs, a little gold mining and speculating on the land. On the farm, he bought he rad dairy cattle. Meanwhile, the family kept growing, and by the time they left, there were six children with another on the way. Ned and his siblings attended school in the Beveridge Catholic School, which was run out of the Bluestone Church you can still see on the hill today. Red Kelly used to drink at the pub called the Hunter's Tryst, built in 1845 by Andrew Beveridge, who was a Scottish grazier who had arrived in Australia in 1839. The Hunter's Tryst has been enlarged over the years and features the dining room in the original bar, a large bar area with two pool tables and murals on the wall depicting early stages and key stages on the life of Ned Kelly. The hotel also has accommodation, a rose garden and a large balcony beer garden. The post office is also located in this building. Key sites that you can see here is the Kelly House, which is on the corner of Kelly Street and Stewart Street, the Bluestone Church and School, the Hunter's Tryst dining room still there, and the Ned Kelly statue, which is outside the community centre in Beveridge Reserve. Beveridge is about uh, 58 kilometres from Melbourne via the Hume Highway from Beveridge to the next town. Avenel is 80 k's. What's Avenel? Let's find out. So you jump in the vehicle. Ned Kelly and his family moved to Avenel when Ned was about eight years old. They lived here for about four years, and sadly this is where Ned Kelly's father, Red, passed away shortly after which the family moved north to be closer to Alan's family at Greta. Avenel is 114 kilometres north of Melbourne, its population is currently around 750. The area now called Avenel was settled in 1838 when pioneer Henry Kent Hughes leased 60,000 acres. He is said to have named his run after a village in England that had been used in the title of a book that was popular at the time, The Maid of Avenel. The explorers Hamilton Hume and William Hovell had passed nearby when making their inaugural explorations south to Port Phillip Bay. The creek here, later named Hughes Creek after the first squatter, was a popular overnight spot for drovers. A post office was established here in 1858 and the Overland Mail passed through Avenel from 1839. To replace the Sandy Ford, a six-arch stone bridge was built in 1859. The Kelly family moved to Avenel in the early 1860s when Ned was about eight. Red rented a 40-acre farm for £14 a year from Mrs Elizabeth Mutton, who was wife of William, one of Avenel's two earlier settlers, and ran it as a dairy farm. Ned's younger sister, Grace, was born here, increasing the family headcount to seven, living in a simple slab hut with a bark roof. Annie, Ned, Maggie went to Avenel Common School, and Ned was said to be above-average student. When he was around 11, Ned rescued Richard Shelton, aged seven, from Hughes Creek. The rescue took place about 150 metres downstream from the bridge where Richard had been trying to cross on a fallen tree bridge. The boys headed back to Richard's home at the Royal Mail Hotel to dry off by the fire. For his bravery, Ned Kelly was awarded a silk, green silk sash in gratitude by Richard's parents. Now, it seems to have been a treasured possession. Ned was wearing this when he was captured at the siege of Glen Rowan, and that sash can still be seen at Benella's Costume and Pioneer Museum today. Ned wasn't the first in his family to fall foul of the law. Ned's father, who had been transported from Ireland to Australia for stealing two pigs, had to stand trial at Avenel Courthouse for cattle stealing. 
though he was later acquitted for the theft, but charged with unlawful possession of a hide, for which he served four months. Red had killed a calf that wandered onto his property out of hunger and desperation to feed his family during the drought of 1865. What got him in trouble, though, was not notifying the police according to the decree of his intention to slaughter an animal. Red's health had been deteriorating over the years of struggle, and it was in December 1866 that he died at the age of 46 from dropsy, which is oedema, possibly contributed to it by heavy drinking. He was laid to rest at Avenel Cemetery. Ned became the man of the house at just 11 years old and even registered his own father's death. Red was buried in an unmarked grave, though a headstone and grave has been marked off by the Avenel Historical Society, which you can still visit today. Now, when doing this trip, we decided to follow the destinations in chronological order rather than sort of in destinations uh, kilometres apart. So we next headed to Rita, which is where the Kelly moved after the Kelly, the Kelly family moved after the death, um, they of death of Red Kelly. They lived at Greta on 15 Mile Creek from the age of 12, um, as I said, after his father died. They continued to live here after Ned was captured and hanged, and today the house site is privately owned by Kelly descendants and not open to the public. You won't be able to see the house from the road, and a large number of no trespassing signs should make things pretty clear, and we can only hope that one day there's money paid for restoration and the place will be able to be explored and be open. Now, Greta is a rural district that has had four town centres over the years, all called Greta. The original township, now known as Greta West, not to be confused with the new Greta, was established in 1853 on 15 Mile Creek. Greta West, pronounced Greta, said to be named after the Greta River in Yorkshire in, in England, is 243 kilometres from Melbourne, 24 kilometres south of Wangaratta and 14 kilometres due south of Glen Rowan. Its population is around 235. The old Sydney road passes through Greta, so many travellers paused here on their way to the gold diggings at Beechworth and the Buckland Valley. Businesses sprung up here to serve the diggers, including a coach horse changing station, blacksmiths, hotel and schools. Greta's post office opened in 1863, but closed in, in 1994. The industry included Ned's mum's Allen's Sly Grog Shop. A widow with seven kids under 12 had to earn her living somehow and those slab walls must have seen and certainly heard some things over the time. Greta was immortalised in the traditional bush ballad Ned Kelly's Farewell to Greta which goes farewell to home in Greta to my sister Kate Farewell. It grieves my heart to leave you but I cannot dwell. The town also gives its name to the Greta mob 30 or 30 to 40 flash dressed youths who frequented dances and horse races like to show off their horsemanship draw attention with red sashes and fashionable clothes, including the boots with larrikin heels and wearing their chin strap on their hat under their noses. Members of the greeter mob became Kelly sympathisers and while they were in hiding would help them with food, keep them informed of police movements and so on. Now, Greeter's police station was established in 1865 due to concern about goings-on in the area and it was from Greeter station that Fitzpatrick, newly arrived, rode out to the Kelly house with a belly full of booze and glory on his mind, either from making a conquest with Kate Kelly or bringing in Dan Kelly, who was wanted on charges of horse stealing. The incident which kicked off the events that culminated in the standoff at Glen Rowan. However, that wasn't Ned Kelly's first brush with the law and greeter. He had been arrested at 14 and spent 10 days in lockup. Seven months later, Ned was arrested with Harry Power and locked up for seven weeks. A couple of months later, after an incident with a travelling salesman, Ned Kelly went to jail for five months. Three weeks after he was released, he was in trouble again for riding a stolen horse in town and the arrest 
attempt resulted in pistol whipping wounds on Kelly's head and spur wounds on Constable Hall's legs and backside. This time, Ned served almost three years. He returned to Greta on his release in February 1874. Now, in 1881, in the Royal Commission evidence, Greta was described as always a bad district. It was a focus of crime. Ned's cousins, Tom and Jack Boyd, had run-ins with the law together with Ned as part of the Greta mob, and after Ned's execution, his family continued to live at Greta. The Kelly sites at Greta is the Greta School, the Greta Cemetery, Dan Kelly, Steve Hart are buried in unmarked graves, Alan Kelly and Ned's younger brother Jim are also buried there. The Kelly house is ruined by identical by the remaining chimney stacks, and this is the house that Ned built for his mother, and also the Kelly sites include police barracks. Now, Greta is just 15 kilometres from Glen Rowan. The turn-off for Greta is between Benalla and Wangaratta. Greta, 250 kilometres from Melbourne. Certainly worth a visit. And at the Greta Cemetery, you, can, you can't actually see the graveside. There's just a big headstone when you walk in to say that Ned Kelly is buried there in an unmarked grave. Now, continuing our, our zigzag around the countryside on the Ned Kelly touring route, we're headed to Chilton. And many people believe that the warrant issued for Dan Kelly, which was wit- written and signed here at the Chilton Police Station on the 5th of April 1878, was a turning point for the Kelly family. This warrant caused police to attend the family home in Greta and harass their mother. You can mess around with us men but not with our women is a quote often associated with the Kelly gang. Now Chilton presently, uh, presently rather, has a population of over a thousand. It's close to the Chiltern Mount Pilot National Park and is 34 kilometres from Wodonga and 280 k's from Melbourne. The Hume Freeway runs one kilometre to the east of the township. Aside from this township's wonderful historic buildings and nearby wineries, there are a number of scenic drives on the outskirts of Chiltern, many of which traverse the Chiltern Mount Pilot National Park. Northwest of town is Donchie Hill Road, which leads to a scenic lookout over the surrounding plains and passes through areas of old mining sites. South of Chiltern on the road to Beechworth is the turn-off to Mount Pilot, where impressive views can be enjoyed over the mountain's peak. Now, originally known as the Black Dog Township in 1858, Chiltern was named after Chiltern Hills in England and established as a town. The following year, people followed the gold rush from Beechworth and the Ovens Valley districts moved to Chiltern and continued to its growth. In its heyday, Chiltern supported 12 hotels and three banks. The Grapevine Hotel on the corners of Main and Connors Streets apparently boasts the largest grapevine in Australia, which was planted in 1867. In 1859, a local newspaper known as the Federal Standard began publication. Its printing office was later built of locally made bricks. The building is one of seven in Chiltern on the register of the National Estate. The newspaper continued to publish until the 1970s and the Standard Building is one of the highlights of a visit to Chiltern. Now, unlike many other areas, the gold around Chiltern was extracted by sinking deep, wet leads. This type of mining needed miners with greater and different experience and saw the skilled workers coming from many of the other gold fields. The miners from Ballarat in particular were considered radicals due to their involvement in the Eureka Rebellion of 1854. A great legacy of Chiltern's mining days are its well-preserved historic buildings built around the town's central junction of Main and Connor Streets, including the Federal Standard Newspaper Office, built in 1860, the Star Hotel in 1866, Dow's Pharmacy in 1860 and Gilmore's Corner Store in 1890. The Chiltern Athenaeum Museum originally was the town hall and council chambers. It presents a large collection of historical books and paintings. And further north along Main Street, north of Crawford Street, is a group of historic government buildings situated just outside the town's commercial centre. 
There's a post office built in 1863, Masonic Hall, the former courthouse in 1865, and an old police lockup which was erected in 1874 at the rear of the courthouse. People of note from Chiltern include our 18th Prime Minister John McEwen, author of The Getting of Wisdom, Ethel Richardson, her house is worth a visit and also the tr- is also on the Trust Registry, and Mary Gaunt, another novelist who was one of the first two women enrolled at Melbourne University. After its founding, Chiltern overshadowed Beechworth within a few years, especially when the main Melbourne to Albury Railway bypassed Beechworth. However, when the gold dwindled during the early 1900s, unfortunately so did Chiltern, but it's certainly worth a visit. It's like stepping back in time with the beautiful old buildings. And the Kelly sites of the area is the Chiltern Courthouse, the old Chiltern Police Station, the Athenaeum uh, at Connor Street, housed in the former Town Hall, which was built in 1866, this museum features memorabilia of the region's mining and agricultural past, plus writings and paintings by local artists. In the Athenea Museum, there's also a copy of the warrant issued for Dan Kelly, and the commercial hotel Midway between Chilton and Rutherglen hosts, hosted rather the Kelly Gang at that time. Chilton is 37 k's northeast of Wangaratta along the Hume Freeway, 292 kilometres from Melbourne, and Chilton it's just 32 kilometres to the New South Wales border at Wodonga. So history tells us from the fracas that happened at Greta that the Kellys took off after the Fitzpatrick affair and headed to the hills. And it was the infamous shootout between police and the Kelly gang which took place at Stringy Bark Creek on the 26th of October in 1878 where four Mansfield policemen had ridden out with tents and supplies to search for the Kelly gang. Ned and his brother surprised two of the police at their camp which was McIntyre and Lonigan and held them up. McIntyre surrendered, but Lonigan fired as Ned, so Ned fired back and shot and killed Lonigan. When the other two members of the group returned, McIntyre was supposed to tell them to surrender, and Ned had promised not to harm them. However, Scanlon fired a shot and was shot in return. Kennedy took cover behind a tree and fired shots and was also killed by Ned Kelly. McIntyre escaped on horseback, and Ned let him go, wishing to keep his promise. It was these events where Ned committed his first murder, which he claims were all in self-defence, and that sealed his face when he ultimately stood trial. The gang was declared outlaws at the Mansfield Courthouse on November 15, 1878, when they failed to appear, and a reward of £800 for the Kelly gang, £200 for each member, was posted in Victoria. There's a police monument here at Stringy Bark Creek. There's also another at Mansfield, which we'll touch on in a moment, where the policemen were stationed. The natural bush setting at Stringybark Creek is largely undisturbed and can be reached by certainly a well-graded dirt road from either Benella or Mansfield. You need to drive carefully as there's plenty of logging trucks that frequently use this road. From Benella, you get to Stringybark Creek via the Tatong Tolmy Road and from Mansfield, follow the Mansfield Whitfield Road past Tolmy to the Tatong Tolmy Road itself. And there's an interpretive site there at Stringybark Creek. It's certainly a very haunting place that uh, you put it in perspective what happened to uh, the police there at, uh, at Stringy Park Creek. They were pretty much surrounded. And as I said about Mansfield, it was the base of the police search operations and it was the murder of these three police Mansfield, the three Mansfield policemen at Stringy Park Creek that put a price on Ned Kelly's head along with the other three Kelly gang members. Since European settlers first came to the area in 1839, Mansfield has been the centre of the high country. In fact, the original runs or stations converged at the roundabout in the centre of Mansfield from 1846, which is a significant local landmark today. And Edward Mansfield was one of the first settlers here. Gold was discovered in the region in 1860s, leading to a booming economy. Many of the buildings you see in Mansfield and other high country towns were built with proceeds from mining. 
all that cash bought another sort of spectator, bushrangers who stole from the witch that rich rather than relied on their excellent bush cast to keep them ahead of the law. They often hid in the impenetrable bush of the wombat ranges northeast of Mansfield. Before coming a becoming a bush ranger, Ned Kelly worked in the area as a timber getter after his release from prison in eighteen seventy four. Mansfield's other significant claim to fame is the location for filming of the 1982 film The Man from Snowy River, based on Banjo Patterson's poem of the same name. Today, Mansfield is a pretty and prosperous place with a fabulous view across the Alpine Ranges and plenty of rivers and lakes nearby. It attracts visitors all year round as the getaway town to Mount Buller, Lake Hilden and the Alpine National Park. The Kelly sites in Mansfield are really sites for the police and the victims. The Ned Kelly story is often retold without full appreciation of the loss endured by the murdered policemen's families. The policemen were murdered in the line of duty and it was such a devastating blow for a small community. Stringybark Creek is the site of the murders as we know close to Mansfield half a day by horse or 45 minutes per day by car. Once there one may find a new appreciation for the task of being sent out to bring in the Kelly gang. The police memorial is in honour of the three Victoria police members, Sergeant Kennedy and Constable Scanlon and Lonigan, murdered by the Kelly gang at Stringy Bark Creek in 1878. The impressive marble troopers monument was funded by public subscription. It is featured in the roundabout in the centre of the Mansfield Township and is listed as a Victoria police significant site. Have a visit of the Mansfield Cemetery. It's home to the graves of the three police members murdered at Kelly gang, murdered by the Kelly gang at Stringy Bark Creek incident. It's on the left-hand side from the entrance. The Mansfield Courthouse, that's over the road from the police memorial, is the Mansfield Courthouse from which Ned Kelly was proclaimed an outlaw. The court is still in use today. Wednesdays are generally court day with a noticeable increase in activity, albeit in relation to far less serious charges than those faced by Ned Kelly. Mansfield, 176 kilometres northwest of, Me- of Melbourne via Maroondah Highway and 106 kilometres south of Benalla via the Hume Freeway and Midland Highway. So from Stringybark Creek... The Kelly gang took off. They were on foot and they were wanted men and they headed towards Euroa, which is nestled in the foothills of the Strathbody Rages on the banks of the Seven Creeks. During the gold rush years, Euroa was a coach stop on the way to Beechworth in Sydney and as a prosperous town had become the focus of the Kelly gang's first bank robbery. Following the events at Stringy Bark Creek, the Kelly gang needed money to support themselves while in hiding. And on the 10th of December 1878, the gang staged a daring raid on Euroa and robbed the National Bank of £2,000 worth of cash and gold, although they had been hoping for much more. The story of the planning of the hold-up and memorabilia from the period is on display at the Farmer's Arms Hotel Museum, which is open Wednesday and Sunday. Before the bank hold-up, the gang seized Faithful Creek Station to rest their horses, changed clothes and cut the telegraph lines by the railway line nearby. Everyone at the station or who happened to come by was held hostage in the storeroom. Joe Byrne kept watch while the others travelled into town and carried out the hold-up. After the robbery, the gang forced bank staff, the bank manager Robert Scott and his family to accompany them back to the station so they could, couldn't raise the alarm. The exuberant bank robbers then treated their hostages to a trick riding show before galloping away. Now today, Euroa and Surrounds is regarded the centre of Victoria's thoroughbred horse racing industry. It also has a reputation for producing quality, cool climate wines available to try in a number of cellar doors. And the Strathbogie Ranges offer scenic drives, bushwalks, creeks and waterfalls for the nature lover. In the area, of course, is the site of the National Bank hold-up in 1878, the Farmer's Arms Hotel and Museum, Museum built in 1876, and Faithhill Creek Station where the galley Kelly gang took hostages and rested their horses before the robbery. 
So now the Kelly gang was in a whole lot of strife. They'd robbed a bank, they were cop killers, and they were definitely on the run. The next destination we stopped at was Gerildery. The township of Gerildery was established in 1859. It's home of the famous Gerildery letter dictated by Joe Byrne by Ned Kelly. It's nestled on the banks of Australia's longest creek, the Billabong Creek, and is located on the Newell Highway, the main inland route linking Melbourne and Brisbane. Gerildery is the only town in New South Wales featured in the Ned Kelly saga and has more surviving authentic Kelly sites than anywhere else along the touring route. At sundown on Saturday 8th of February 1879, the Kelly gang arrived at Woolshed in three kilometres east of Gerildery to pass some time before they rode into Gerildery surrounding the police barracks and locked up the two policemen in their own cell. On Sunday morning, Ned and his gang dressed themselves in police uniforms and masqueraded as reinforcements sent to strengthen police patrols on the border. Dan Kelly accompanied Mrs Devine, the police constable's wife, to prepare the courthouse for the usual monthly Catholic church service, delivering delivered by a visiting priest. Early on Monday morning, Dan Kelly and Joe Byrne rode to the blacksmith shop of Samuel Ray where they had their horses reshod at the expense of the New South Wales Police. Ned Kelly and Joe Byrne commandeered at the black parlour of the Royal Mail Hotel, Ned explaining to licensee Charles Cox that he required a room for a few hours to put people in for I've only come here to stick up the bank today. The Bank of New South Wales occupied a section of the hotel premises. Ned and Joe bailed up the bank teller and the junior teller confiscated £691 from the cash till. After locating the bank manager, £1,450 was taken from the safe. The bank employees were escorted to the hotel's black parlour and held hostage. Ned recruited the hotel groomsmen to burn various documents held by the bank as collateral for loans, a deed which he carried out with a clarity. Next, the Kelly gang went to the post and telegraph office to order the telegraph lines to be cut down. Ned, in company with Trooper Trooper Richards and bank teller Edward Living, then went to search for Samuel Gill, who was the editor of the Gerildery and Urana Gazette, to fulfil the true purpose of the gang's visit to Gerildery, to print Ned's side of the story that he led and he and his gang along the pathway of outlawry. The now famous Gerildery letter... Now, unable to find Gill, Ned gave the manuscript to Living to pass on to Gill for printing and circulation. On handing over the manuscript, Ned said to Mr Living, Mind you, keep your promise and see that they are printed or you will have to reckon with me next time we meet. However, Mr Living did not give the manuscript to Gill. Instead, he rather kept it to himself and was not to resurface until more than a hundred years later. Now, today, the original Gerildery letter is held at the State Library of Victoria, Living kept the letter and it only surfaced more than 100 years later and was donated to the State Library of Victoria. Now, there's plenty of Kelly sites in Gerildery, the Post and Telegraph Office, Samuel Ray's Blacksmith Shop, the Police Stables, the last remaining building associated with the Police Barracks and Lockup, the Printing Office and Residence of Samuel Gill, uh, the Royal Mail Hotel in Gerildery Street contains displays of memorabilia and photographs depicting the hotel's history, including its part in the Gerildery Bank robbery, the Gerildery Courthouse constructed in 1874, the site of the Woolshed Inn where Ned and his gang passed away a few pleasant hours on the Saturday evening of 8th of, uh, 8th of February 1879 before moving on to Gerildery and bailing up the local police and locking them in their own cell, the sites of the Travellers Rest Stables and Hotel and the site of the saddlery of James Mahood, which is now Memorial Park. Gerildery, 328 kilometres from Melbourne and 660 kilometres from Sydney, from Wangaratta, it's a distance of about 157 k's via the Murray Valley and Riverina Highways. Next stop for 
the gang was over to Glen Rowan. Glen Rowan and Ned Kelly are an important link to a part of our national identity. It represents anti-authoritarian, larrikin risk-taking and the many of support of the underdog, uh, some might say a very Australian sentiment. The Glen Rowan Heritage Precinct has included in the National Heritage List on the 5th of July 2005. It is an eight-hectare site that includes the original railway platform, the siege site and the location of Anne Jones's Glen Rowan Inn. In 1878, Anne Jones has a, had a mortgage of £100 that allowed her to build a weatherboard line and hessian and paper with calico ceilings, furnish it, and then have enough money to start the business. And a six-metre-high Ned Kelly statue now guards the village. The statue portrays Ned in his metal armour as for the siege here in Glen Rowan that the only time he wore it. Now, historians are not sure whether the inspiration for the armour came from what some suggest Ned was familiar with the novel Lorna Doom by Richard Doddridge in which the outlaws appear in iron armour. Another theory is that his armour was modelled on sets imported for a Chinese street parade in 1873 and possibly seen by the gang in Beechworth. Now, presently the population is close to 1,000. Most of these people will be able to tell you a story about the Kellys. It is a popular resting point for people travelling on the Hume Freeway with walks and tours of the famous Kelly siege sites, a well-trodden path. Now, before the Kellys came to Glen Rowan, Baileys of Glen Rowan had grapes already planted, and today it's still a flourishing business. Old wine Shiraz can be tasted at Booth's Tamic Cellars, owned by the Booth family since the beginning of the last century. The Queen's Birthday Weekend has Trails Tasting and Tales on the 8th of June, and in October, the Winemakers Weekend. In 1846, brothers James and George Rowan owned 16,000 acres of grazing land, and this was the beginning of habitation of the area by European sat, sat settlers. Put my teeth in. 1873, the railway came into town, and by 1876, the first school was built. The schoolmaster was Thomas Gurnow, who would be pivotal when the Kelly Gang siege happened in 1880, as he was the one that stopped the train. The original township was a mile closer to Benelli and consisted of a post office, school, police barracks, and several pubs one being the Farmer's Arms, which had originally been the police barracks, and a bootmaker. The McDonald Railway Tavern stood across from the little railway station, was away from the main end of Glen Rowan, and also at this end of town were the Station Masters and the Glen Rowan Inn. Now, Patrick McDonald owned the tavern and was a keen Kelly sympathiser. Along with many others, this was the place they first congregated to prepare for the raid. When the Kelly gang first arrived at Glen Rowan, they stabled their horses here. On Sunday the 27th of June 1880, just after midnight, Ned Kelly took over her hotel so that they could use it to house the gang's hostages. By 3.30am, Anne's hotel was nothing but ashes, having been burnt down by the police as they tried to flush the last of the Kelly gang out of hiding. Nearby is the Warby Rangers and Mount Glen Rowan that comprises Morgan's Lookout, named after another famous bush ranger, Mad Dog Morgan. The Kelly sites at... Glen Rowan include the Ned Kelly Memorial Museum, the Glen Rowan Tourist Centre, which has maps for the self-guided siege site walk and also offers guided tours. Kelly Land is a 40-minute animated theatre theatrical portrayal of The Last Stand, the Blacksmith Stop and Museum, which is an authentic operating blacksmith shop. Glen Rowan is 236 kilometres from Melbourne, around halfway between Benella and Wangaratta, 88 kilometres from the Aubrey-Wodonga border. We'll carry on the rest of the Ned Kelly story next week on the Road Less Travelled podcast where we take up what happens after the capture at Glen Rowan and the, the other towns that we visit along the way before heading to the old Melbourne jail in Melbourne.
If you've got some feedback on the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can catch up with us on Fat Cat Media through Facebook and Instagram and the Road Less Travel Podcast on Facebook. The Road Less Travel Podcast 2021 is our handle on Instagram as well. If you want to jump on uh, and give us some support, you can through Patreon. You can listen to us through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We're also on SoundCloud as well and iHeartRadio. Please, if you like what you hear, please give us a review and a share and a like and be sure to uh, tune in next week where we take up part two on The Road Less Travelled on the Trail of Ned Kelly. My name is Nikki Shea. I'll talk to you then. Bye for now. Thanks for listening. This has been The Road Less Travelled, a podcast about travelling and camping on the road. Written and hosted by me, Nikki Shea, produced by Fat Cat Media. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we'd love you to leave a five-star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Even better, please leave a review. Any comments or questions, please email fatcat at iinet.net.au and to be notified on the new episodes, make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed.